0: when the deck rusted away. But even then, the motor was still good. So I went back to Marvin. I said, Marvin, the deck on my push mower has rusted away, but the motor is still good. Do you have like an old used deck that I could put my motor on? He said, oh yeah, that, that motor and that model, there's like four different companies that use that same configuration. He went out and he found me a, he found me a used deck with a bad motor. He said, here you just have it. And so I... Uh, went home and I Frankensteined the thing a little bit. I had a, I had a new, new green and yellow mower deck with a, a red and black motor on it. <laughs> Just perfect for the pastor of Waterway Church. <laughs> but last summer, the motor was finally done. It only lasted me 17 years. So this week I went back and I bought a new push mower from Stoltzfus Farm Service. And along with the mower, They told me that there was oil in it. They had put it together, and here's the bag, and here's how things go. But along with that mower came this. It's called uh, an operator's manual. haven't read it. (laughs) Don't expect I need it. I mean, it's a push mower. Put gas in the top, pull the cord, and if you have a problem, you go back to Staltfusses. Or more likely, just talk to dad. (laughs) I didn't read the directions, and I'm not going to read the directions because it's pretty low risk. If the mower doesn't work, there are about seven of you in this room who could help me figure it out. But there are other items in life that have more riding on them. There are some things in life that only work a particular way. There are some things that are worth paying attention to. And I want to talk about one of those things. And our scripture today is in Mark chapter 1. Um, Look at Mark 1 verse 35. We're going to see two stories about the life of Jesus, what he did, how he acted, how he lived. And in these stories, we're going to see instructions on how we ought to be living our lives. Maybe there are things in your life that don't need an instruction manual. Or that you don't think need an instruction manual. But let me encourage you that there are some things that only work a particular way. And that's what we're going to unpack today. So here we are in Mark chapter 1. There's this story of Jesus. At this point, Jesus is still very early in his ministry. He's a a young man. He's in his very early 30s. And he has just been kind of public with his ministry for probably a couple of weeks at this point. It says um, in verse 35, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. By this point, Jesus had called a couple of disciples. Simon's companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Kind of this, this impression or, or the idea of, where have you been? What have you been doing? Everyone's looking for you. And I can see why Simon would think that. I mean, here is Jesus. He is the Son of God. It seems like he'd be pretty plugged in with the Father, doesn't it? I mean, Jesus has been baptized, and the, the, Spirit of heaven, or the, Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit came down like a dove from heaven. People heard God say, this is my Son whom I loved. with him I am well pleased. Clearly, Jesus is, is the Son of God, and he's plugged in with God. What is Jesus doing out here praying? Well... What we're going to see today, what I'm going to suggest to you is that prayer is not just about speaking to God, but prayer is also about listening to God, relating to God. And sometimes that takes time. Sometimes that's hard to do with other people around. Jesus, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Prayer was important even to him. So here comes Simon and the companions. Where have you been? Everyone's looking for you. Verse 38. Jesus replied, let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That's why I have come. You remember Ross read this morning from the book of Isaiah, a prophecy about the Messiah that says, I have come to preach good news to the poor, to release the captives or to release those who are in darkness and set the captives free. Jesus says, look, let's go somewhere else. The people says, everyone's looking for you. Jesus basically says, don't care. Let's go somewhere else. Jesus has a different agenda than what the disciples seem to assume. He says, let's go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Jesus goes first to the Jews. He goes first to these synagogues, the place where the Jews meet, the, the Jewish churches, so to speak. Jesus is with the religious folks and it says that he's driving out demons. Even among the religious folk, there is spiritual work to be done. You know that a person can be in a synagogue and not be clean, right? You know that a person can be in a church and not be clean, right? There are many of us in this room that have problems, but you know there are some in this room right now who quite honestly have no faith at all just kind of still figuring things out or maybe don't understand yet what the gospel really means. They don't understand yet that God really wants a relationship with us. He doesn't just want an audience with us. You know, you can know about God without knowing God. So Jesus went to the synagogues. Jesus went to the Jewish folks, those who would have known about all the prophecies and they they would have heard about the Messiah to come and so Jesus went and visited them and he cast out demons. The story continues. It says in verse 40, that a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. It says in verse 41 that Jesus was indignant. Indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus shows that he has control over nature. The miracles backed up his claims, right? Right? And then in verse 43, Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See to it that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Remember what is happening with Jesus here. Remember the profile he's trying to keep. He's out in a solitary place praying to God. Simon and the disciples come to him and said, everybody's looking for you. And Jesus doesn't go and play to the crowd. He doesn't say, oh, they're looking for me. Well, let's go give them a taste of the Savior." That's not how, he says, I've got to go other places and preach there too. So Jesus, not trying to build a large crowd around him at this point, and even here, he heals this man from leprosy and he says, look, don't go tell anybody about it. Don't make a big deal about this. Just go. God told you that there are a couple things that you ought to do if you're healed. Give some praises and give some offerings. Go do that. But don't tell anybody. Jesus, trying to lay low a bit so that he can keep doing his work. Do any of you, Do any of you ever get frustrated by people bothering you when you're trying to get stuff done? Do you remember that? Do you you remember that time this week when you were really locked in and you finally had some time to focus and then the phone rang? Or then one of the kids walked in? Or then another another customer came in and and you already were so backed up. Oh, people can be terrible when you're trying to minister to people. (laughs) Jesus sent him away with a strong warning. So don't tell everybody, but instead, verse 45, instead he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Oh, I, I can understand this. I'm a talker. I'm not a promoter, but I'm a talker. And if Jesus would walk up to me and heal me from all my leprosy and say, hey, Jesse, just be quiet about it. Well, I haven't been able to be quiet about anything my entire life. I can relate. Uh, Hey, Vernon, you know what? Yesterday I had all the, look, look, I'm good. You want to arm wrestle? You know, you ever get excited about that kind of stuff? This guy's excited. He's telling people about Jesus, which by the way, is is the job that all of us have that we sometimes wish we didn't have. Some of you wish that Jesus would tell you to be quiet, but he hasn't. But here, Here, Jesus is just trying to keep a low profile, but yet he loves this man. He's indignant when he's sick. He says, I want you to be better. And so Jesus heals him, sends him away. And the man goes and begins to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in the lonely places. It cost Jesus something to serve people this way. And the people still came to him from everywhere. He tried to avoid them, and yet still the crowds found him. He wanted to move freely to do his work, but now his work is harder to do. People are there gumming up the works. More people isn't always better. And then the story continues in chapter 2 of Mark. Mark writes that a few days later, a few days later, and remember, Mark is getting his information from Peter, who is referred to as Simon. It was Simon, got a new name, Peter, later on in life. Mark is getting his information. Mark was not an eyewitness to all this. Mark is getting his information from the stories of Peter. And so Peter told Mark, Mark wrote it down. A few days later, when Jesus entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. This was Jesus' hometown. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. So here's Jesus in a home, probably a home that he knew, probably a home that belonged to someone that he knew. This is his hometown and he's there preaching. There's so many people coming, they can't even get in. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Four guys carrying their buddy. Their buddy can't walk. He's paralyzed. And since they couldn't get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. So Jesus, I, I just think of this as a preacher. I mean, every once in a while, people ask me, did you hear that baby crying during the worship service? And I always say, no, I, I usually don't. I don't know. I, I kind of get locked in, I guess. Somebody said, did you see that guy sleeping in the worship service? No, I, I didn't, notice, didn't notice that. I was locked in but I wonder if somebody started tunneling through the roof if I would notice that. (laughs) I mean, here's Jesus, and he's preaching in one of these homes, and these homes would have had like a, 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 not a shingle roof quite like we have. It would have been kind of a a muddy, thatchy kind of roof that these guys could have dug through, and so they climb up on the roof, they dig through, and they begin to lower the mat that their friend was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralyzed man's son, Your sins are forgiven. That's kind of an interesting start to a conversation, isn't it? I mean, here's a man who obviously has physical limitations. Here's a man who, it would seem, would want to be delivered from those physical limitations. But what does Jesus start out with? Jesus sees past the man's physical needs, he recognizes them, but he sees through them and sees the real need. He says, You're forgiven. Sometimes we make a mistake and we, make, we only address the physical needs. We don't help a person get their heart back in the right place. But remember, what does Jesus want? He wants our hearts. He wants us to relate to him. So these men came, bringing their buddy. They dropped him through the ceiling. Jesus looked at him and says, son, your sins are forgiven. And it says in Mark 2, verse 6, it says, some teachers of the law were sitting there. I wonder what they were doing sitting there listening to Jesus preach. Maybe they were inspired. Maybe they wanted to take some pointers. This guy can really preach. Maybe they wanted to critique it. Maybe they were just figuring out who this guy is. But some teachers of the law were sitting there and Mark says that they were thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? These teachers of the law, they were listening to Jesus preach. They were watching him do what he did, but they didn't seem to understand the reality of who he was. They didn't realize that he was the son of God. If they had realized he was the son of God, they'd have said, great, he forgave him. Instead, they're saying, wait, this guy's blaspheming. He says that he's doing something that only God can do. You know, some people never really do understand Jesus. Some people, because of their stubbornness or because of the blindness that they're struggling with, they just never really see who he is you know teaching the law is not the same as living for god it's possible to know about god without knowing god there are lots of people who know about god who don't know god aren't there hey quizzers are you listening are the bible quizzers still in the room do you know that you can you can know about god without knowing god hey quizzers I'll give you some help for your matches this evening. Do you remember what happened to Joshua and the people of Israel when the people of Gibeon tricked them? For the rest of you who have not been studying Joshua all week, there's a fascinating story in Joshua chapter nine. Joshua, who was the one who succeeded Moses, Joshua, the one who is the the general, he's the leader of the Israelite people. Joshua is leading the Israelites through Canaan, through the promised land. And they are going and they they are waging battles against the people who are there. God is leading them through and God is giving them victory. Everywhere they go, the Israelites are victorious. Now, there were some people of Gibeon who were kind of the next tribe to be defeated. They were the next people in line. And the people of Gibeon realized what the Israelites were doing, realized that armies more powerful than theirs had been defeated just recently. And so the people of Gibeon, who were neighbors to the Israelites, but were afraid of being destroyed, the people of Gibeon came up with a plan. They came up with a ruse. The people of Gibeon got these old worn-out donkeys, and they put on old, tattered clothes, and they filled their supply bags with old, moldy food. And they sent their ambassadors to Joshua, and they said, Joshua, and to Joshua's council, we have come from a long way off, and we have heard that you are following God, we have heard that you're powerful, make a treaty with us, so that you won't destroy us, and so that we can live peacefully in our world. And, and Joshua said, well, how do we know that you're not just our neighbors trying to trick us? And they said, well, look at our supplies, look, our bread was fresh when we left home, and now look at it. And here is what it says. In Joshua 9, 14 and 15, some of you quizzers may have this memorized. It says that the Israelites sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live, and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. It says that the Israelites looked at the evidence but they didn't check in with God. They looked at the supplies. They tried to validate the story and the evidence was enough, but they didn't talk to God. And and so they swore an oath to them and an oath, even if somebody lied to you, you you might have a lawyer nowadays that would say, well, this contract was put together on false pretenses. No such thing. In this time, Joshua and his army found out very soon that these were their neighbors to whom they had pledged with an oath that they would not destroy them. And so instead of destroying them the way God originally had planned, then these people become their servants. They carry wood, chop wood, and carry water for a long time. But I think it's interesting that the Israelites sampled their provisions but did not inquire of the Lord. It's almost as if they didn't check the instruction manual. They thought they had this. They assumed they knew the story, that they understood the picture. And they got themselves into trouble when they didn't check in with the Lord. Jesus is fully plugged into God. The paralyzed man is dropped down through the ceiling. Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus gets right to the man's heart. The teachers of the law are offended. They say, how dare he? He is not God who can forgive sins, but God alone. Showing that they... They knew about God, but they didn't know God. If they did, they would have understood Jesus. Sometimes we forget to relate to God. We forget to cultivate our relationship with God. We forget to listen to God. We just go by the things that we think we see, and we regret it. These teachers of the law regretted it, because look at verse 8, back in Mark chapter 2. It says, immediately after Jesus after Jesus recognized them thinking these things to themselves, says that immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. You might be able to argue that sins were never forgiven. You might be able to argue if you're just there watching that Jesus is just going through his own fantastic ruse until the man gets up and walks home. Then you can't really argue anymore, can you? We all saw it. That was real. That was power. Jesus is revealing who he is, but there are still those who don't want to know him. This man, it says, took his mat, got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. (laughs) A couple of things I see here in these stories in Mark. First of all, it occurs to me that Jesus got his power by continuing to relate to his Father. Jesus went out to those solitary places, and, and, and I don't know, I don't know exactly what his ministry would have looked like if he had tried to do it on his own, but I suspect it wouldn't have been what it was. Jesus got his power by being connected with God. Do you see his prayers? Do you see his prayer time? Do you see his discipline to get up early in the morning, leave the house and go out and relate to his God? He was more plugged into God than he was concerned with what the people demanded. Simon and the other disciples said, everybody's looking for you. Jesus didn't say, well, I guess I better go talk to him. He said, no, I've got to go somewhere else. Jesus being plugged into God, got his agenda from God. Jesus later on in his ministry says, I don't do anything by myself, but I follow where the father tells me to go. So it strikes me that Jesus got his power Through prayer and connection with God, Jesus was more plugged in with God than he was with the concerns of the people around him. He had a mission that was more important than the whims of the crowd, but even in the midst of that, God led him to meet so many of the needs of the crowd. Jesus wasn't just going to kowtow to the desires of the population around him, but God loves the people so much that sometimes Jesus does forgive the sins of the man dropped through the ceiling. Sometimes Jesus does say, just pick up your mat and walk. This is the power of God on display in Jesus. What's the moral of the story? Here's what I see. I'm gonna test this with you. Here's what I see in Mark chapter one and chapter two. Here's the moral of the story. Number one, pray to God. Number two, let God guide you. Number three, act. That's what Jesus did in that order over and over. And I wonder if you and I are following those instructions. Pray to God. Let God guide you. Then act. See, the kingdom of God is active. The kingdom of God is advancing. Jesus, Jesus spoke to his disciples about this in Matthew chapter 16. It tells the story of when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, he said, who do people say I am? They replied, some say you're John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Jesus still concerned about identity. Do people know me? Simon Peter, though, answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And here's the words I want you to hear. Matthew 16, 18. Jesus says, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. He says, Peter, you are going to be the foundation of a church, and the gates of hell will not be able to stand against you. Now, gates don't move. They swing open and close, but gates don't march, gates don't advance, and gates don't retreat. What does this mean? When Jesus says, Peter, the gates are not going to be able to defeat you, Jesus says, Peter, I am calling you to march forward. I am calling you to take ground. I am calling you to advance against the forces of evil. And even the gates of hell will not be able to stop you. See, Jesus has this work that he's doing. He will not be deterred. He's going to keep preaching, keep teaching, keep casting out demons, keep performing miracles. He's going to go to all the people that need him because that's what God is calling him to do. And Jesus even says, Peter, you're going to do the same kind of stuff. Not even the gates of hell are going to stop you. Church, the kingdom of God is active it is advancing and now today even though Peter is dead we carry out the same mission you and I have the opportunity to continue to advance the kingdom of God and I believe that if we continue to be plugged into God working by his agenda and through the power of the Holy Spirit the gates of hell will not stand against us either a couple of weeks ago I uh, had the opportunity to sit in my office with two men. One's name was Vernon Myers. He's the guy in the green jacket. One fellow was named Heinrich Boates. Heinrich is also a chaplain in the Chester County prison. And Heinrich brought a third man along with him, brought a friend named Gerard. Vernon and I got to speak with Heinrich and Gerard. Heinrich and Gerard both grew up in South Africa. They're currently in their very early 60s, but they grew up together, went to school together. Heinrich has been working recently in prison ministry. But Gerard has been working for years to translate the Bible into Makua, which is a tribe of three and a half million people in northern Mozambique, the Makua people. Northern Mozambique, which is in the southern part of Africa. They have never had a Bible in their language before. And so Gerard learned some years ago that they didn't have a language and none of the, none of the big Bible translating groups were, were working with them. So he decided to learn their language, learn to write it down and print a Bible. Civil wars have been rampant in the Northern part of Mozambique for the last 40 years. The Dutch were the colonialists there. And when the Dutch pulled out, there was a power vacuum. And like in so many other places, there was lots of fighting for power. But Gerard has been working for years to translate the Bible into Makua, which is a tribe of three and a half million people. Gerard sat in my office and told Vernon and Heinrich and I that finally the Bible has been translated. They found a printing group in Asia that was able to print the Bibles for them. And this week, got an email. I don't know if you got this. Did you get this, Vernon? Gerard sent me an email that said that the Bibles were printed and they're on a ship to Africa right now. And he simply asked for prayer. He said, they're paid for, everything's doing well, but when you get to the ports in Mozambique, there's a whole lot of palm greasing. There's a whole lot of corruption and, and just getting things through custom is difficult. He said, would you pray for that? Here's what the letter said. Just a very short but important update. The Makua Bibles are on a ship on its way to Maputo, Mozambique. We will store the Bibles in Maputo until the end of March because it's too dangerous to put it on a truck for the 1300 mile trip up North during the rainy season. Please pray for the protection of this precious cargo. Please pray for a hassle-free import in Maputo. Read a miracle. And please pray for hearts to be prepared once the Makua Bibles start being distributed in his service, Gerard and Vanessa. Church, that's the kingdom advancing. That's three and a half million more people who now have the Bible in their language. And we got to see some videos of of when the Bible was dedicated in that language a few months ago. People just celebrating and praising all afternoon. They have a Bible now. The gates of hell will not long stand against the efforts of people who are inspired by and filled by God's Holy Spirit. But there are some of us who only know about God. And we try to walk around thinking that we've got that same kind of power. We wonder why, why won't the gates get out of our way? It's because we only know about God. Do you know God? Christians, have you been spending time in prayer in the early hours of the morning to get away from the crowd the way that Jesus did? If Jesus needed to pray that way, doesn't it seem like you would need to pray that way too? Do you know God? Or do you just know stuff about him? Do you have a relationship with God? And and I know some of us do a really good job of talking to God. Have you been listening to God? Because you won't know somebody very well if you're the only one who speaks. Young people, young men, I'm going to tell you a secret, a secret that I learned long ago. Young men, if you want a young lady to fall in love with you, ask her questions about herself and then listen. I think it can go pretty well the other way. Young ladies, if you want a young man to really fall in love with you with his whole heart, ask him questions about himself and then Listen. But you know what happens? So many people go out on that first date and they get all nervous. And if they're like me, they talk about themselves the whole time. And at the end of the date, the other person says, I don't know that person very well, but what I know, I don't want to see again. <laughs> but if you will cultivate your skills to be a listener, you will develop relationships in this world that you may have never expected. If you will be a listener, you will be able to connect with your spouse in ways that you may not have experienced before. And in your relationship with God, if you will be a listener, you will learn to know the Lord in ways that you may not have experienced yet, and power comes along with knowing the Lord. We have to remember how Jesus did things, he didn't just charge off on his own. Part of the equation is that God wants us to be in relationship with him, that's what we're saved for. Are there times in your day when you think only about the Lord? When you're not distracted by the TV on the wall or the news of the day or the work that you have to do? Are there times of the day when you are listening to God with all your heart to get his direction and and even more, just, just to be close to him, to know him better? It's good to read your Bibles, but if all you're doing is reading your Bible and you're just learning about God, you're still missing something you need. You need to know God. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Christians, can you say amen? Do you know what I'm talking about here? Final thought, final thought. The kids in children's church in Waterway 2.5 today, they're learning about the story of Mary and Martha, right? Here's the story of Mary and Martha. I'm going to read it out of Luke 10. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work all by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. That's Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Now, Martha, in her preparations for Jesus, wasn't doing anything bad. She was working at hospitality. She was trying to provide a comfortable place for the one she knew was the Lord. Martha wasn't sinning. Let's be very clear. Martha wasn't sinning here. But Martha was distracted so much by her good works. And she was missing the most important point. She was missing something that Mary had plugged into. She was missing the relationship with Jesus that could have brought her to a place where she would have known him even more deeply. The kids are hearing about that today. Parents, ask the kids what Jesus thought was important. I hope you're already building relationships with the people around you. Church, I know you're working hard to serve the Lord, to be a good example in your community. I know that you're working hard to prepare for the Lord. But church, most of all, I hope you are tending to your relationship with God. Not just doing things for him, but living your life with him. As Jesus said to Martha, A few things are needed. Really only one thing is needed. Are you tending to that one thing? Can we pray together? God, I'm so thankful that many of us know about you. Lord, I am so thankful that we've been able to work at Bible study and and instruction, that we've been able to learn about you. Thank you, God, for revealing yourself to us. Thank you for giving us an opportunity to study your scripture, to read in the book of Mark and and in Luke, and to think about the judges and hear from Isaiah. Thank you, God, that we can have this knowledge. And I thank you for, for quickening our minds so we can think well about the lives that we're living. But Lord, help us today, not just to leave our walk with you in knowledge, but Lord, help us to add to that faith. Help us to add to that the ability to listen and hear from you. And Lord, help us to remember that knowing about you is not as good as knowing you. And so, Lord, there are many of us who are studying. Please give us focus and intelligence as we continue to study. But Lord, let us not miss you in the midst of our studies. Let our studies drive us deeper into a deeper knowledge and a deeper understanding and a deeper relationship with you. Lord, we know you can do this. We've seen you correct so many people in scripture. And Lord, we know how much you want our hearts and how you will pursue us. Lord, we open ourselves now to you, not just our minds, but our hearts and our lives as well. Help us now to live this out in everything that we do so that we can continue to advance your kingdom in this world and see that the gates of hell cannot hold us back. Lord, we love you and thank you for being our Lord and Savior. We pray in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.